0: I'm the WCW champion, baby. I'm telling you, Eric Bischoff, Jeff Jarrett. I, I need to teach them a lesson. But you got nothing to worry about, because Chris Canyon's gonna be there. Diamond Dallas Page. So they're gonna watch my back.
1: You see? How do you know they're gonna watch your? What's up, hey, Kurt? Hey,
0: hey, hey, Courtney. We got to do our new love scene right now. How you doing, David?
1: Kurt, yeah. did you know that David was the WCW World Champion?
0: World Heavyweight Champ, baby. <laughs>
2: yeah, right. Last week on Nitro, I proved to the entire world that at any given time
1: I could become the WCW champion.
2: That's why this company's in the damn shape it's in because of bullshit like this. this,
1: this, this, this. Welcome to Keep It Two Thousand, a joke that turned into a wrestling podcast that has revealed itself to be a psychological experiment. I am Brian Mann, and joining me is my fellow test subject, Nate Milton. Nate, last week was the dawning of the David Arquette era, and a new day is upon us. The star of Eight-Legged Freaks is now WCW World Heavyweight Champion.
2: Exactly. I think the people, they they did right by David Arquette. They dialed down the center and called 1-800. This is pro wrestling's most interesting pop culture, (laughs) interracial, cross-generational pro wrestling and pop culture show devoted to the genius of one Vincent James Russo. I, I am a, I, I gotta say, Brian Man, I don't want to spoil the uh the intrigue of this episode or bury the lead. But uh after two weeks of, of this uh this David Arquette invasion, if you will, I, I I'm not hating the guy. Really?
1: Even now that he is world champion.
2: Even now as world champion, I'm, I'm okay. still I'm still I guess this would be called uh well, here's a, this, the this, honeymoon is, this period. Is,
1: uh, okay, well it's it's a one night honeymoon then. This thing's getting annulled on Sunday but i mean that's the thing this is what people are coming here to listen to this this is the david arquette episode we shouldn't hold it off anymore and so let's just go ahead and and, and bring in this week's guest test subject he is a comedian based out of new orleans and austin as well as professional wrestling's future manager of the decade chris true ladies and gentlemen chris thank you for being here this week
0: oh thank you so much for having me i'm focused up i'm ready I I just came out of my bedroom, had had a smoke machine go on, my music <laughs> played, put on my headphones, and I'm here. Let's do this thing.
1: You you agreed to come on the show before we sort of hammered down which episode you're going to be here for. Uh, how did you feel when you found out this was the one? This is the one you're here for.
0: I was pretty excited because I I like mini wrestling fanatics. I. When the network first came out, I told myself, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make myself watch all the wrestling that I was only kind of halfway in, you know, as a, as a younger person, and I made myself watch every WCW pay per view. But I, start, I started the tail off around this time ish, and I just stopped doing it as. Frequently, And so for me, it was a treat. I was excited. I was not watching WCW around this time period. I mean, I, I was aware what was going on. I would read about it, but I was not watching it. So, so for me, it, it felt almost like a treat.
1: What was your viewing habit like in the year 2000? Because you're, you're friends with uh, Brandon Stroud, who's been on the show previously. And he, of course, was a diehard WCW <laughs> fan. So this is just a, a trip down memory lane with him. What Were you watching wrestling in 2000? What were your viewing habits like?
0: So in 2000, I was freshman, sophomore year in college, and there were wrestling parties happening in my dorm room at Louisiana State University. But it was 100 percent Monday Night Raw. And, mm. you know, between that and watching Fight Club five times a week and playing Super Smash Brothers <laughs> where I'm hurting people's feelings as Donkey Kong, you know, there wasn't room for
1: WCW. Had there ever been room for WCW or was it just at this point it had faded out or just, it was never there?
0: I was in WCW halfway, you know, from like '97 to '99, uh, and I'll tell you the very quickly. The thing that got me there was I had to have jaw surgery. Because my bottom jaw was growing faster than my top jaw. So one summer I had to get my mouth broken and wired shut for the entire summer. So pretty much all I did was sit still and and ingest as many calories as possible via liquid. And, mm. and one of those first days where I had that uh, post that surgery was the day that Ultimate Warrior came back on Nitro. Which I was kind of only watching because I was bored out of my mind. And that's what hooked me back in. But as the one warrior nation started to fizzle, <laughs> so did my uh, uh, so the wires in my mouth, as well as the the my interest in WCW.
2: You were like Sting, you know. You were a man who, for for a year, said so much without saying anything at all.
0: Pretty much, yeah. So uh, you know, I I'm familiar with WCW. I'm definitely not coming at this from a place of not knowing anything about these people. But I will say, I've never seen this much vampiro without lucha underground that to to give you an idea of of what how much i was watching this era of wcw
1: you're like it's taking a long time for this guy to get to the commentary booth let's go ahead and wrap this up and let him call a match (laughs) Um, so we we know what the what the main event is here. The, the dessert is David Arquette, but but we got to eat our vegetables first. Let's set the table. Let's see what was happening in the year 2000. And and Nate, there really wasn't any good news story that happened this week. I, it's crazy to think in the year 2000 that you could have a uh, a week without major current events, but that was the case of this week. And. We know what the number one song is. It's still Maria Maria. Uh, Three Doors Down is still running wild over on the rock charts. So let's actually look at the movies. Is that okay, Nate? It's been a while since we saw it was playing at the the multiplex.
2: Yeah, let's go down to the cinema. It's it's been a while. So uh, I think the people... When they come to the Satellite of Hate, they don't just want music. They don't just want politics from the year 2000. They want a wide-spanning view of, of the time. So, yeah, let's, let's go to the uh, cinema, if you will, brother man.
1: Well, the Friday of this week's Nitro would see the uh, the release of the next year's eventual Best Picture winner, Gladiator.
2: Unleash hell. Am I not possible? What we do in life echoes in eternity.
0: I did not see Gladiator in theaters. I watched it. I I vaguely recall a drinking game uh, played with a Gladiator (laughs) DVD at some point in my college career, but uh, no, I did not see Gladiator in theaters. I have had a Gladiator smoothie from Smoothie King full of protein.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Inspired by the film, I'm sure. Yes. I did not see this in theaters. This was, and I don't know, because it certainly was a, a big film at the time but it just didn't hook me uh you know as as much as the friday movies which we've already talked about (laughs) on this program brian man like ice cube to me was always box office gold so i I would go see uh players club or or friday or whatever he had coming out uh but uh gladiator was something that it took me a while to to get around to and i finally saw it and it, it was a good movie i just I just never got into the, the the Gladiator craze. I guess you could say I was not entertained.
1: <laughs> you know, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't a fan. I was not a fan of this movie. And actually, later uh, Ebert would actually say that this winning Best Picture was the biggest mistake the Academy ever made.
2: What did it beat in uh, two thousand? Brian? Uh, it beat
1: uh, it beat Traffic and it beat Aaron Brockovich. And, uh, like, it beats some good movies, but, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, it was just, this was kind of the tail end of this kind of movie being what the Oscar voters would always go for, these sort of big, sweeping historical epics. And those have sort of just sort of faded out over time. They're not as big into those. But, uh, but of course, the next year after this, another Russell, like, Russell Crowe would win Best Actor back to back years. But, yeah, this was just not, uh, this didn't, uh, it hasn't been one that stuck with me, but I feel a lot of people do love this movie. Quick question.
0: Was uh Is Aaron Brockovich in the May Young Classic? Yes. <laughs> good,
1: good. <laughs> uh, so we usually give uh, Thunder all the attention it deserves on this show, which is zero. But uh, we would be doing the listener a grave disservice if we did not chat about the episode that preceded this Nitro because David Arquette, of course, won the WCW World Heavyweight Championship.
0: So I recall being in high school and, and, you know, one of the bigger pro wrestling debates was, are you a Stone Cold fan or are you a Rock fan? You know, and, and to me, you know, as it, as it evolved, it was, are you a WCW fan or are you a WWE or F fan? And, for me, you know, the same way the Rock winning Survivor Series 98 Deadly Games felt like it was a big notch in my belt as a Rock fan, I felt David Arquette winning this title was a huge notch in my belt for being a WWF fan. <laughs> it, it just completely legitimized uh, the argument at, for me at the time. For, for the, the friends that I had that were still watching Nitro, it was kind of one of those, or WCW I should say, it was one of those things where it was like, what are y'all doing and What's what? What? What are your life choices uh, here? And I, I, I gotta admit, I did not give it any chance at all at the time. I, I do not recall being like, "Well, let me see what this is like." I, I remember I did not see the triple the the, 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 the triple cage match. I never looked at it. In fact, that I never I wasn't curious enough to to do that. I just I just kind of let it be and said, you know, kind of pointed at it and said, "Look, this is this is why I'm not watching this 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 product."
2: And I feel like this episode might be the closest I ever get to becoming Paul Heyman, uh, brother man. Because <laughs> I'm going to spend most of this episode being an advocate for one David Arquette. Oh goodness! Uh, I, but is I, that how you felt at the time? No, at, at at the time I thought, at the time I thought that it was a questionable move. I didn't I didn't outright hate it, but I did think it was questionable. And and I think. It's easier to look back with 2017 eyes at David Arquette and, you know, how his star in Hollywood is kind of dimmed to a certain extent. But in 2000, he was relatively reasonably famous and, and likable and appealing to sort of the demographic that you would think would cater to pro wrestling. So even at the time, I remember not liking the idea of him being champion, but I didn't mind him being associated with WCW.
1: Yeah, and I see how it happened in terms of the on-camera with the, the it being a fluke thing. He didn't pin the actual champion. He pinned Eric Bischoff. It was a tag match. Uh, in terms of just explaining away and trying to protect the credibility of the belt, they kind of did it. But I do also see that argument that a lot of the more older wrestling fans have that this was a disservice to the belt, that it made a mockery of the business. I can see that. However, other side... I'm curious, what do you guys think would happen if a move similar to this happened today in WWE? Do you think we wouldn't get as worked up about it because this preceded it? So, like, maybe we're used to it? Or do you think that maybe WWE would do it better? How do you think people would react to a thing like this today?
0: I think it definitely depends on who we're talking about. I mean, if we want Mm -hmm. to keep it vague, if we want to keep it vague, I I think I had to lean towards it would not go over well. I think... I think most of the fans today that are spending the most money are ones that have been watching wrestling for 10, 15 plus years and they would be, they would be bothered by it. I think they would also be bothered by how, how many children liked it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Uh, It it, would kind of be the John, the the worst version of John Cena magnified, (laughs) I think. But, but I, I think if we want to get more specific and figure out who it is, like that's actually a fun a fun challenge is like which three people would be the least offensive to to uh, to 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 do that?
1: Oh, I feel like if this happened a day, the closest analogy would be like Charlie Day wins the SmackDown World Title, <laughs> which if they did it right, who knows? Like. Maybe it would work. I mean, but another question is do you think this would have worked just as well if they had, say, maybe put a tag belt on David Arquette? Do you think that this, him getting a wrestling belt would have been, would have gotten attention and it being a world title? Because the people, uh, people had issues with what happened with Pac Man Jones and TNA, but that was, I think, more of a reaction to the position that Pac Man Jones was in at the time, not necessarily that a celebrity was getting a title belt.
2: Yeah, I think that if if Arquette had won, you know, a tag title with DDP, I think you have less opposition uh, because, you know, you, you can kind of play it off as DDP's doing all the work and Arquette's just along for the ride. Uh, so I, I think there was a way you could have done it, whether a tag champion or something I thought about during the course of the show, like wrestling is part athletic and part acting. And you've got some guys who are really good at the athletic part, some guys who are really good at the acting part, some guys that could do both, and some guys that are terrible at one or the other. And it's like, man, you've got David Arquette, you're trying to promote this movie, you're trying to get some mainstream buzz. Why not just make David Arquette the damn commissioner? No no offense to Arn Anderson in our fanfic, Brian, but <laughs> if you want to utilize the actor, allow him to do something that works best for him.
0: Yeah, I also, I, I wonder if there is some way that we could check the analytics between like, you know mentions and and uh, how many major press hits were like like, like the, the difference between what happened with Carl Malone and DDP and Dennis Rodman and Hogan and David Arquette like cuz they didn't put the belts on those guys back in the day but did they get as many major press hits as they did with David Arquette
1: Oh, I'd say they definitely got more. I mean, that was right in the middle of the NBA Finals. You also had them working towards a, a match that was promoted ahead of time. Yeah. Whereas David Arquette uh, won the title on the Tuesday, or, or this Thunder before this, showed up on Nitro the week before, pretty much unadvertised, wins the title, and then tonight is booked in the main event of the next pay-per-view, and this is the go-home show that we're about to review. Um, so yeah, not only uh, was David Arquette's not as famous as Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman, but they also didn't allow themselves like sufficient amount of time to promote it. Plus, those guys were as well put in a tag match.
2: And the company was hotter. Like the, the company was in a better position at that time than they were in 2000. Like even the Jay Leno thing, which I remember hating with a visceral. Yes, passion. I. Me too. Like even the Jay Leno thing felt bigger. Watching back on this David Arquette thing, the Jay Leno thing felt bigger because the company itself was bigger at the time.
0: I also think that that you know I know it's a fake sport but we care about the history component of of the, of professional wrestling and I think that it's a it's it's a blemish that is unerasable when you go back and look at the at the title history like that is unexplainable really to future <laughs> generations whereas if you put it in a tag team or you do? I think tag team is a way to go. At least the gimmick can be like, "Oh, DDP basically was fighting handicap matches for six months while defending these belts." And when he, when they lost, it, it wasn't his fault, you know, I think that you can work a gimmick like that and not be as offensive to the historical context of professional wrestling.
1: Yeah, and this was a move that was also made to just appeal to people that weren't wrestling fans. That as the the stat they always tout was it got them on the cover of USA Today. And I don't think the average person who doesn't know a thing about wrestling and just sees David Arquette in a wrestling ring wouldn't look at the picture and go, "Ah, oh, it's just a just a mid card belt or just a tag belt." I'm not going to tune into Nitro this week. Uh, so I think no matter what it had been, I think it would have had the exact same effect. So yeah, I, I retrospect being uh, you know what what it is. Maybe they could have just booked DDP and David Arquette against Buff Bagwell and Shane Douglas instead of doing this this uh, this title change. But um, but this is where we are. This is the world that we're living in. David Arquette is currently the world champion. So let's go ahead and talk about this Nitro.
0: And hey, may I say real quick that I have yeah. a really really good David Arquette story. Something that cr- that happened to me a, in a very random bizarre way that had that led to me. Uh, being in touch and partying with David Arquette. And I would love to tell the story at the end of this episode
1: at the, at the end. So we're teased. That's the main event.
0: Yeah. That's for yeah. If you don't, if you don't mind, I, I, you know, he showed up in my life much like he showed up on thunder <laughs> and, and in a way he won a championship in my life as well. I like, can't wait to tell that story.
1: Well, I'll say this. You've done a better job promoting that story than this company did promoting his pay-per-view match <laughs> on this episode. David, come on. You could get hurt. You could get killed. This is ridiculous.
0: I know. But I just wish this belt fit a little better.
1: Yeah, I bet you do. But you know why it doesn't? You're not a wrestler. Now, baby, is that any way to talk to the heavyweight champion of the world? Oh, good God. We get a cold open from the set of 3,000 Miles to Graceland, where new world champion David Arquette is being berated by then-wife Courtney Cox. Courtney correctly proclaims that David is not a wrestler. As is rarely the case, we are shown a much-needed recap of this week's Thunder can you imagine how confused you'd be if you would skip Thunder? Last you saw, you watched Nitro last week, DDP is the world champion, and then you turn on a week later, and this is what you see.
0: I am so happy for anyone who got to experience what that scenario you just described. <laughs> I, I want to meet that person, I want to shake their hand, I want to buy them a sandwich.
2: I mean, I am that person, so I will take that sandwich, uh, turkey on sourdough, Swiss Tell cheese. Your,
0: yeah, just give me your P.O. box, and I'll ship you a sandwich.
2: Because <laughs> I, 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 I didn't watch Thunder. Like, it's no surprise to anybody that listens to this program. Like, even in 2000, I knew Thunder was trash. I, I was not going to subject myself to it. No shade on uh, Bobby Heenan and Mike Tanay, who I, who I love and respect. But, uh, no, there, there was no way you were going to get me to waste time on Thunder, so... Coming to this episode in the year 2000, I was very surprised. Like, I I probably would have read some things online at the time, but I, I definitely wouldn't have seen it.
1: DDP, Canyon, and David Arquette drive into the parking deck but are cut off by the new blood limo. Yes, a limo. A limo is back. Our old friend has returned to this show. The two groups get out of their cars and face off. Then F-U-N-B, Terry Bollea's black charger speeds towards the new blood and rams his car into their limo. Chaos erupts and we get a huge brawl. Security eventually pulls everyone apart. Uh, I'm sure they wasted a lot of money ruining three cars to do this, but I got this was a good way to start the show. I gotta give them credit. I wish w, WWE would do something this high stakes sometime.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the the stakes were high. It was it, it was it was you know I I personally am kind of over car crashes you know in the in the bowels of these different arenas, but 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 I got I, I gotta respect it as well. There, there there were stakes, there was heightening, and I definitely want that in my wrestling program.
2: I dug it, even though it did give off uh, West Side Story vibes. And then, That's exactly what I felt, yeah. <laughs> like, now I just want, like, a, a drama, like, with, with the New Blood and, and the Millionaire's Club. We don't need a match. We just need song and dance to settle this. Yeah, well, the thing I like is this This felt like a brawl
1: that involved cars. It didn't feel like a car <laughs> angle. Like, this didn't feel like the Hummer situation. This felt like people arriving in vehicles, and then it spills over into a fist fight. Tony welcomes us to Birmingham, Alabama, home of tonight's go-home show for Slamboree. And boy, what a job did it do, selling Slamboree. Um... Our show starts with the return of Crowbar, who hasn't been seen on Nitro in two months. Tonight, he will be the tune-up for Norman Smiley and his slamboree mystery partner. Smiley's partner is dressed in a sports mascots costume, uh, complete with a mask. It's some sort of robotic rat. Uh, did you recognize this at all, Nate? I know that you, both you guys, you guys know sports a lot better than me. Did either of you recognize this creature? <laughs>
0: I did not. In fact, when I think about professional sports in Birmingham, all I can think of is the Birmingham Bolts, which were an XFL franchise. And I did a little bit of research here. The two jersey numbers that were being worn by Norman Smiley and his teammate one jersey was 73, which is added up to 10. Uh, another jersey number was 48, which adds up to 12. And if you go take those two numbers and go twelve minus ten, that equals two. Two is the number of victories that the Birmingham Bolts had in their uh, in their only <laughs> XFL season. So I think there's something mm-hmm. else going on here.
2: I'll buy that. I was I was gonna go on a rant about Michael Jack Michael Jordan and the Birmingham Barons, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I like that theory better. So let's go with what Chris said.
1: Well, uh, later, uh, Hudson would tell us that this apparently was – it's some sort of local hockey team is who this this mascot belongs to. Mark Madden points out how fat the mystery partner is, uh, the last guy on the announcer's booth who should be casting that shade. (laughs) Smiley is helping his partner get in the ring when Crowbar attacks him and the bell rings. Crowbar then sticks the partner's head between the ropes, rendering him useless for the remainder of the match. Uh, This gets a massive boo since this was a hometown uh, hockey hero, I guess. Smiley attempts to take advantage of Crowbar's distraction by dancing, but Crowbar throws a trash can in Norman's face. Smiley recovers and he slams Crowbar onto that. The crowd just could not give a fuck about this match and are only paying attention to the mystery partner attempting to get out of these ropes. There's brawling around the ring. Hudson then speculates who the mystery man could be. He has two guesses, Oprah and the Shockmaster. Smiley signals for a big wiggle, but Crowbar hits him in the nuts with a kendo stick crowbar then does a big wiggle of his own onto the mystery man smiley then gets incensed over this and he does the big wiggle onto crowbar causing a a human centipede of dry humping in the middle of the ring and this is the funniest fucking thing these announcers had ever seen there's a little bit more brawling some more headshots some more you know it this was a garbage match eventually the mystery man gets his head free falls on the ground smiley trips over him He then accidentally rolls up Crowbar for the win. So that is our build-up for this Sunday's hardcore title match. Take My Money Now, a garbage weapons match between two guys that keep winning matches by mistake, Norman Smiley and Terry Funk. What a shitty way to start this show. This is the most glaring thing we've seen from Russo, is this demand to start these shows with these shitty hardcore comedy matches.
0: Yeah, this uh, this was really offensive. I... I I I I love. At one point, one of them said. One of the announcers called it a three-way wiggle, which which also sounds incredibly offensive. E- e- Any way you slice it, <laughs> the only three-way wiggle that I'd be into is is three of the wiggles like doing a, 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 like something something fun together, like some sort of like get rid of get rid of get rid of one of the wiggles. Get rid of Jeff. He's always asleep. Let's do a three-way wiggle. <laughs>
2: Oh, this is a, can, can we, I, I know there's some, some fans, some listener out there has had to by now have started a, either a drinking game or a bingo game based off of Keep It 2000. So uh, in the box that, that says Nate complains about the misuse of the great Norman Smiley, go ahead and either uh, put down a chip or uh, take a shot because there's so much they could be doing with this guy. And and granted, like he was good at the comedy stuff, but it feels like he got pigeonholed, and we like we know Norman Smiley can do more than this, and unfortunately he's stuck doing mascot gimmicks and bad hardcore matches. And yeah, I, I was not a fan of this, and I'm not looking forward to the match between Norman Smiley and Terry Funk, who makes me sad at this point in in the year 2000.
1: At the booth, the announcers go over Arquette's title reign one more time. Hudson says Arquette has an announcement to make later tonight. Madden tells Arquette that he's too small and he has something everybody wants. Shivani tops both of his colleagues by arguing that Arquette winning the belt was a great moment in sports entertainment history. Again, let's put ourselves in someone else's shoes. Imagine that you are a non-wrestling fan who loved David Arquette, and so you tuned in and you watched your very first episode of Pro Wrestling because you loved David Arquette. What the fuck would you think if you just watched that match with three men in like a fucking mascot costume humping each other in front of four thousand people in Birmingham, Alabama?
0: You know, I get where you're going with that, but I actually wonder, now that I think about it, I'm putting my 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 optimism uh suit on and I wonder if that match was actually a good thing for David Arquette fans to see because David <laughs> Arquette's a goofy, weird dude that – I mean if David Ar- – if you're the kind of person – and no disrespect to David Arquette, I, I, I think he's a, a fine dude uh, but like if he – if he pop if, if the presence of David Arquette pops you and makes you turn the channel to, to TNT, then – then you probably dig that match. You probably love that the that the mascot got his head stuck between the ropes and 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 the, the childish jokes that the announcers were making. You might like that.
1: Backstage, DDP Canyon and David Arquette are walking to the ring. Arquette, in a suit that would make rock star Spud blush, says he doesn't deserve the belt and he wants to give it back. DDP agrees and tells him not to worry. Elsewhere, the New Blood are shown walking to the ring. Outside. Luger and Flair arrive late to work in a limo. They apparently have a trap planned for Buff Bagwell and Shane Douglas later tonight. Back on the 3,000 miles to Graceland set for another tape vignette between Courtney Cox and her world champion husband. Cox doesn't want him to get hurt because he's not a wrestler. Kurt Russell, yes, the Kurt Russell, <laughs> then walks up and tells Courtney he's ready to shoot their nude love scene. Courtney tells Kurt that David is the WCW world champion. He laughs and walks off. David Arquette grabs a chair and runs after Kurt Russell. This segment was miraculous in that it somehow both elevated WCW and buried it at exactly the <laughs> same time.
2: <laughs> well said. Oh, this is might have been my favorite part of the show, Brian. Man, well, other than uh, that man called Sting, who we'll see later on. But oh, I was
1: very happy to see Kurt Russell. I, anytime hey, Kurt Russell shows up, I'm fine with it.
2: You got Kurt Russell, uh, A.K.A. Ego from Guardians of the Galaxy Part Two for the young kids out there. But hey, spoiler, this uh, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the 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 fact that we kept going back to this this Courtney Cox uh, Graceland deal it reminded me, and I, again, people might not like it when I go to my DC TV references, but hey, it is what it is. On Arrow, they frequently use a technique to go back to a place called Leon Yu, which is this island that Oliver Queen was stranded on. And every week, it seems there's something that happens on the island that correlates to what's going on in the present. And I love that we had this flashback of randomness uh, that it seemed almost out of place on this wrestling show where you got Kurt Russell and and Courtney Cox, our cat at the time, uh, trying to talk sense into... David Arquette, and it almost felt like that was the real world, and David Arquette was like this de- delusional man-child that was stuck in WCW land. Also, do you think that Kurt Russell and the other co-stars of this film, do
1: you think they were aware that this had happened before he showed up on set with this belt <laughs> and a WCW production crew?
0: I have no idea, but I, I that made me think of another thing. I wonder how many other celebrities that were on, on par with David Arquette... I wonder how many of them, like, thought it should have been them.
1: Like, Yeah? Mm. Do you think Scott Kahn was upset that he didn't take the bookings? He's like, man, <laughs> if I showed up at TV those weeks, <laughs> that could be me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, mean, I wonder if, if actors treated that like wrestlers do. You know, if, if a wrestler thinks that it's disappointed that someone's getting a certain push or why is that person get to carry around the intercontinental title or whatever. I wonder I wonder if, if uh, Kurt Russell or any other actors were just like, man – it should have been me. It should have been me. Oh
2: man, if this had, if this had, if this had caught on, Brian, if this had caught on, <laughs> we could have, we could have had a whole new division and like the celebrity division. Like David Arquette's your world champion. The Wayans brothers are your tag champs. Um, I don't celebrity know. death match. <laughs> uh, Jenny Garth is the women's champ. Like there's, there's so many <laughs> possibilities.
1: Sean Stasiak is shown in a gym being fed basketballs. Tonight, he's going to prove that he is perfect by breaking the world record for three-throw shooting. This tired attempt to recreate a Mr. Perfect vignette, uh, it really only proved how imperfect Sean Stasiak was. In the arena, DDP, Chris Canyon, and David Arquette come out. Arquette gets a cheap pop by mentioning that his wife is from Birmingham. We then cut to the most obvious plant ever, a dude in the last row with a David Arquette will rule you sign. Arquette says that after talking to Dallas and Canyon, he's going to give the belt up, which actually got a pop from the crowd. Ever this mark, Arquette mentions that maybe Booker T deserves the title. He declares the title vacant so that DDP and Jarrett can decide the champion at Slamboree in the Triple Cage. This brings out Jeff Jarrett, accompanied by Bischoff, Kimberly, Russo, and Miss Elizabeth on a leash now. Something must have happened on Thunder. Jarrett says Arquette doesn't make the rules, and he decided to become a sports entertainer when he got in the ring last week. Bischoff tells David that Come Slamboree is a three-way match in the Triple Cage for the WCW title. Out of nowhere, Lex Luger then runs to ringside and chases Russo off through the crowd. Back to the segment at hand, as if nothing happened. Bischoff continues and says that tonight, Arquette can have a warm-up for Slamboree. Tonight, the world champion will take on Tank Abbott. This announcement brings out Abbott. DDP tells Bischoff that Arquette ain't getting in the ring tonight. Abbott tells DDP to keep his nose out of his business.
2: Stay out of our business. Am I talking to you, Abbott? I don't think so. Whoa! talking to you. Either step up shut up. Don't you
1: shut me up, Billy Goat? Good night! Tank oh. Abbott Diamond Dallas Payne! Abbott charges DDP and a brawl breaks out. Security separates everyone and Abbott grabs a mic. Sadly, security did not separate Tank from that. A Goldberg chant breaks out as Tank challenges DDP to a match tonight. If he wins, he gets to face Arquette. DDP accepts the fight. Uh, a lot happened here. Hmm. I think this was the byproduct of the fact that we only have one show with this guy's world champion and we're having to cram a lot of stuff in here.
0: I don't know if it's because I was not watching at the time, but I didn't mind this as a a way to inject some drama into an otherwise lame-as-hell idea. I mean, not that I believe that Tank Abbott was going to beat him. And, 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 you know, I, I, I thought I was going that route, but I just thought this there probably were people who thought who thought, that I guess, Tank is getting ready for the push or whatever. You know, I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's ignorant because I wasn't watching, but I didn't mind this to me coming into it for this podcast. I thought, oh, this this is injecting some some interesting elements here. OK, fine. I'm in
2: this segment just kind of reinforced my idea that there was a way like there's there's another alternative timeline of this exact same thing where David Arquette was utilized in a in a better fashion and it made the company look better and it didn't diminish the stature of the title and it's like man David Arquette his promo not bad why not have David Arquette again be this Celebrity who is a fan of wrestling, who appreciates the work of people like DDP and Booker T and so on and so forth, and have him cut this really good promo against Vince Russo, another guy who I think is a good character on the show despite his booking. Like Vince Russo, the character, is really good. Why not have Russo and Arquette go back and forth for five minutes and, and have that be you know your big segment with the celebrity?
1: Oh, and if we went the other route that we were talking about in the beginning of the show of doing the tag team uh, option – if you just said DDP and David Arquette, you've got to face Chronic tonight. You could see, you could still get the same drama, yeah. and you could still get them winning somehow. Uh, and maybe you do a couple spots where Arquette gets roughed up, or they get his hands on Arquette. Not this route that we're going, where Dave, like Tank. Yeah, he was kind of hurt a little bit in the way they handled that Sid match a couple months ago. But he's getting a push now. He's getting built up for Goldberg. He's doing this this monster thing where he's attacking. Um, innocent bystanders he's in the middle of a storyline and to just abruptly drop it because again david arquette winning this title was not the plan a week earlier so to come to tv and just be like oh we're going to have you know david arquette potentially beat tank abbott this week that that's a real uh that's a real step off the path that they had for themselves
0: you know another thing i I, i'm i'm now thinking about is is Has there ever been an angle in any pro wrestling company where someone had a prestigious title and didn't want it but couldn't get rid of it? Like, that may be an interesting thing here if, if he has to keep defending it in, in scenarios where someone is helping him. And so David Arquette, who is just a wrestling fan, is, is trying to be a good guy and get rid of the belt, but he just can't do it.
1: Yeah, that is an interesting wrinkle that they haven't. that I think it's tough to address because you can always do that thing where an actual wrestler can be forced to like, oh, you got to defend your title, or I'll strip it of, of you. You got to have that match, or I'll fire you, or you'll be suspended. David Arquette in the storylines of the show does not work here. Does not have a contract. Isn't being paid to do any of this. How is he being compelled to fly to Kansas City this weekend and participate in a pay per view main event?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that that. I, I just talked myself into a possible, like a possible angle with with David Arken as the champion being cool.
1: <laughs> no, that'd be interesting. He would also have to be a heel as well. Like I think if you if I think that's why maybe this isn't working because they're trying to depict him as a baby face at this point. And so they can't go the route of, say, what Andy Kaufman did. Like I think if David Arquette had actually said, I'm going to be in WCW for three months and I'm going to be an Andy Kaufman type, I think it would have been great. I think if someone wanted to do that now, I think WWE should go for it. But when it's when it's Vince Russo behind the wheel and he's the one spinning this thing, this is what you end up with.
2: Well, to your, to your point, Brian, to me, one of the best uses of celebrity involvement, I'd say, over the past 10, 15 years was K-Fed when he was in the WWE. Yes. And it's very much kind of a modern spin on the Andy Coffin thing. And I thought, as much as I am not a fan of Kevin Fetterline in, in real life, like the dude came across as a truly hateable heel and, and a good character in that angle.
1: So we go backstage where Luger continues his search for Russo. Back to the gym, Staziac continues to shoot baskets. Um I gotta say though, on second thought, anything that keeps this guy out of the ring is fine by me. Let this guy just go to gym's competing and setting records i'm fine with it in bischoff's office eric is meeting with hugh morris he tells morris that he will face scott steiner and jeff jarrett in a triple threat match and if any of the misfits in action interfere they'll all be fired the misfits in action had formed officially as a stable on the thursday before this inexplicably We are then treated to a tables match between The Wall and Horace Hogan. Horace and The Wall start off in the aisle as Hudson informs us that Horace returned on thunder to fight for his uncle's honor. Miss Hancock makes her way out to continue her talent scout. Only time we saw her. Horace sets up a table in the ring and almost puts Wall through it, but Kidman runs in and distracts Horace. Wall then takes advantage and chokeslams Horace through the table for the win. Now, Nate, while we did not do a Horace bump challenge, it should be noted that that chokeslam was the only bump that he took in this match. After the match... learning from the best. Chip off the old block. After the match, Kidman and the Wall beat up on Horace before Hulk Hogan's music hit. Wall and Kidman bail as Hogan enters the ring. Mike Awesome then attacks Hogan from behind... Three on one, Hogan no-sells and hulks up on everybody. Horace just dis- disappears. He's, he's, he's an afterthought at this point. Awesome uh, finally takes Terry down and sets up a table. <laughs> awesome goes up to the top rope while Kidman and Wall hold Hogan down on the table. Hogan fights back and catches Awesome for a turnbuckle, teasing a superplex, but this is, this is fucking Hulk Hogan. There's zero chance he was going to pull that off. Instead, Kidman breaks up the move, allowing Awesome to put Hogan through the table with a sunset flip. Uh, In case you forgot, guys, Hulk Hogan is facing Billy Kidman on Sunday, not Mike Awesome.
2: Another segment, Brian, man. Another segment where this might be the third week in a row I've said this. Why are we not, other than Hogan shooting his mouth off, why are we not going to Awesome and Hogan? Because that's actually something the more I watch these episodes, that's actually something that I think not only would I be interested in now watching back with 2017 eyes, but in 2000. I would have been all about that. You know, the ECW champion coming over and taking on Hulk Hogan or or Terry Bollea in this circumstance. That's something that I think would have been a much better way to go than this whole Billy Kidman thing, which has not benefited Billy Kidman one iota. Well,
0: I, I I haven't gotten a lot of exposure to Mike awesome, but I do recall reading like Raja WWF.com or something like that. (laughs) When I was in, uh, in high school and college. And I remember, I remember reading that I'm supposed to really like Mike Awesome. But I, I was pretty underwhelmed by this whole thing. And I also – I was never I, – I, I pride myself on never being – I've never been a Hulk Hogan person. I I mean, I mean, respect the work ethic. I enjoyed his book. I loved the stories about him doing a match in Madison Square Garden getting on a plane and going to Japan. I, I mean I respect the work ethic and, and all that. But I've never – ever since I was a kid, I've never been a fan of Hogan. So whenever I see this WCW Hogan phoning it in, again, I'm kind of like, that's a that's a really sweet stat on my wrestling fan baseball
1: card. Well, this is certainly not a Hogan household over here, so you're in good company. <laughs> we then quickly cut to a, wait for it, graveyard, where Vampiro challenges Sting to show up. He knows Sting is curious, but curiosity Killed the scorpion. Uh, So I guess there's only one cemetery in all of Birmingham, Alabama, because he did not give any other information about where to come find him.
2: Yeah, that, that was the big thing I thought about during this segment. Like, did he have somebody? Did he have uh, Scott Hudson or Lee Marshall? Since Lee Marshall's like the, the advanced scout for this team. Did he have Lee Marshall <laughs> give Sting the details on where to meet him up at? The other There's thing an is, alternate graveyard report that Lee right. Marshall does every week. The, the other thing is, you just can't make up your own sayings. Like, you can't take an established saying and just throw something in. Like, if Chris's nickname, if Chris was the Badger, I couldn't be like Chris. You're getting curious, and you know what they say: curiosity killed the badger. You can't do that. That's not a, a rule of language that you can just break. An apple a day keeps the scorpion
1: away. That right. old chestnut.
0: <laughs> Look, I, I want to just I, I want to make a, an offer right now to to current present day WWE creative. You know, uh, you know. Speaking of graveyards, you know, I am based in New Orleans. I live very close to a very famous cemetery. Um, if we want to recreate what happened on this episode of Nitro for (laughs) WrestleMania next year, uh, I would love to help produce that segment. I can maybe, (laughs) I could be a zombie. I could be, you know, I'm just open minded how to pull it off. But, but but as long as we're talking about wrestling and graveyards, I just want to put that out into the universe. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that thinks, uh, I believe you put something out there, you increase the likelihood of it coming true. So there it is. It's out in the universe.
1: Well, what two guys would they do it with? I feel like obviously Bray Wyatt would be in the vampiro mold, but who would be who would be the squirt? Who would be? I mean, they could do it two years in a row, but I feel like Randy is the closest thing that, that Sting is at this point.
0: Oh, you're saying Randy Orton is the closest thing to, to Sting in
1: 2000? To two thousand Sting, what uh, 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 do you think? I'm off base, Nate. I feel, but feels like,
2: like 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 an insult almost. Okay,
1: who? But I, I, who? Who in the current? Who in the current mold? Do you think is close? I mean, it's. I mean, I guess we. No, nah, it's not AJ. I can't think of anyone that is the closest thing to Sting, uh, in in the in the upper picture in W in WWE right now.
2: Honestly, from a character standpoint, and obviously this guy is. Much more popular than Sting was, even at that time. But from a character standpoint, maybe the closest guy in terms of that white meat baby face would be Cena.
1: Yeah.
0: See, I feel like I you don't gotta know. go. I
1: feel like there's just an edge with Sting. Yeah. yeah. I know,
0: but when I think Sting, keep in mind, again, I was not a WCW guy, but I think Sting. I think his primary characteristic is that he's like a comic book character. You know, like, mm. and so it's, and so then I think we got to go that direction. Like who is someone who can fill in that outline of that comic book type person. And I know he's not, he's not uh, around anymore. He's got, he's got political things in his mind, but I think of someone like a Kane, uh, even though Kane, yeah. Kane and Sting's win lost records and contributions you know, at the top level do not exactly line up. But Kane is like that yeah. comic book character type person.
2: Yeah, I can see Kane. Maybe, maybe, even, uh, maybe even somebody like your boyfriend, Balor, Brian. Well, so the thing is, like, so Sting
1: and, like, Randy and Sting, like, Sting is obviously much more charismatic, but I'm seeing in terms of in-ring style, like, I see a lot there. Like, they're both purely, like, extremely capable, if not entirely motivated, uh, older upper mid-card guys.
2: I mean, I'm, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. I think, uh, you know, we, because we, we, uh, I, I I mean, granted, I'm in a little bit of an emotional state because uh, earlier on the satellite, I was going through some old uh, impact clips and I watched uh, <laughs> one of my favorite uh, matches in the lead up to that match is uh Sting and AJ Styles at Bound for Glory 2009. And, uh you know, just the passion of Sting talking to AJ when AJ wanted to quit and just, uh, it just brought a tear to my eye. And I, I don't think Randy Orton has ever brought a tear to my eye, at least not intentionally. In the arena, Russo
1: comes to the ring with his guards and Elizabeth on a leash. Russo challenges Luger to a fight tonight. The announcers flip out, but Russo might honestly be the better worker between these two at this point. He's certainly more flexible than Lex Luger is in the year 2000. Jared then makes his way out as the announcers plug his WCW cover story. U.S. champion Scott Steiner then comes down and grabs a fan sign that says, Big Papa Pump sucks. This plant clearly got under his skin, so he grabs a mic and promises to kick white trash trailer park ass if he sees another sign like that. Hugh Morrison comes out, and he is instantly double teamed by these two opponents. Steiner pounds on Morris in the corner while Jarrett poses, then Steiner plants Morris with a belly-to-belly suplex. Eventually, this alliance breaks down, and Steiner and uh, Jarrett are going after each other. Morris takes Steiner down with a clothesline that goes on top for a no laughing matter on Jarrett. Jarrett moves and bails to the floor. Steiner then hooks the Steiner recliner on Morris. Jarrett grabs his guitar and breaks it over Steiner's head. Steiner falls forward, and Morris puts an arm on Steiner to get the three. So uh, another match, another fluke uh, win here. As a reminder, guys, Scott Steiner and Jeff Jarrett are not facing each other at the next pay-per-view. After the match, Lash LaRue and Chavo come down to celebrate... Uh, with Hugh Morris, this was uh, this was another thing that's totally pointless. Th- this is the go home show. Why are we setting so many people up for for feuds that that aren't going anywhere?
0: Uh, I don't know, but I, I do uh, I do enjoy Scott Steiner uh, calling people white trash. Uh, and that line <laughs> is very funny. That's like the pot calling the kettle, Scott Steiner.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what it is Brian and, and uh, this is the first uh, appearance of the misfits in action we've seen over the course of this show and it'll be interesting because I remember really liking the misfits back in 2000. I don't know if it's just the fact that whenever there's a conflict I tend to always like a a separate group that has its own motivations and and, and desires. Uh, so we'll see if, if the misfits hold up in 2017.
1: Yeah, I always liked them as well. Uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. It's just crazy that this is the go-home show for Slam Slamboree, and Scott Steiner is having matches with Jeff Jarrett when his opponent, Booker T, is nowhere to be seen. We go back to the graveyard. Uh, I guess Sting looked up graveyard on MapQuest because <laughs> he's here now. He's searching for Vampiro. He calls out Vamp's name, and he, and he walks into a branch Tony tells us that after the break, we will get Sting versus Vampiro in a graveyard match. Backstage, the misfits in action are celebrating Hugh's fluke win when Bischoff walks up and fires all four of them. In Russo's office, Russo prepares for his match while bickering with Elizabeth. Back in the graveyard, Sting continues his hunt for Vampiro. Vampiro then emerges from behind a tombstone and hits Sting with a shovel. Vamp then drags Sting over to an open grave. While WCW did rent out a cemetery, they did not bother bringing a single fucking light, so it's impossible to see what's going on. Sting asks Vampiro who he is, and Vamp responds by saying he's the monster that Sting should be. Vamp then comically shatters a tombstone across Sting's face. This thing looked worse than like the Seth Rollins cinder block attack from a few years ago. Sting then falls into an open grave. Vamp throws a wheelbarrow on top of Sting and leaves. We then cut back to the grave, and Sting's hand is shown reaching out from the ground. <laughs> we might have to call up Alex Greenfield and see if he was doing some <laughs> freelance work for WCW at the time.
0: This is another one of those segments where I wonder what the, you know these David Arquette fans who are tuning in tonight to see what's going on, <laughs> that I wonder... If they thought that this type of thing would would make sense for them, like did they think that this felt like the ending of like Scream Two or something? I I, I don't know.
2: I, I just I had so many thoughts while while watching this segment, Brian. Man, Uh the first was just from a character standpoint. If I'm Sting, like Sting's a good guy. Everybody knows Sting is the hero. He doesn't back down from a fight. But why? Would you go to this unnamed graveyard without any backup, without any... Like, why, why, what is the incentive for Sting to go? And then, like, if you want to fight Vampiro, just wait till Sunday.
1: We're adding a lot of very costly, over-the-top angles to build up for what is a straight wrestling match at at Slamboree. There There's no bells and whistles to what they're going to be doing this Sunday. I will say something maybe controversial... But I think everything that happens on this episode between Sting and Vampiro, had it happened over a month, I would not have any issues with it. Yes. like I like that they're kind of going outside of the, the lines a little bit. But when they're going outside the lines in every single segment, a lot of the stuff just doesn't stick with you.
2: Yeah, that's something like we'll, we'll touch on it a little bit later as this uh, saga unfolds. But by the end of the show, that's something I, I, I kind of sat back and was like, this really should have been a month of programming.
1: Uh, In case you forgot, uh, we are watching a pro wrestling show. Backstage, Flair pumps up Lex as the total package trains in a pair of cargo pants. It's the top of the hour, which means DDP versus Tank Abbott. We start with a flurry of punches. Abbott drops DDP with a right and then starts to leave the ring, assuming that he's already won. DDP, though, crawls to the corner and pulls himself up. They brawl outside as we cut backstage to find that Canyon and Arquette have been locked in their dressing room. In the crowd, DDP attacks Tank with a trash can. Jarrett then runs up out of nowhere and breaks a bottle over DDP's head. Abbott follows up with a punch and knocks out DDP on the floor for the win. Backstage, David Arquette panics for what's in store for him after this. Uh, I do not think this was that bad. I, I, I honestly think that... Um, we saw just a little bit of Tank Abbott with a credible worker like DDP. You know, I just D- Tank was so mishandled. I think there could have been something there for him. When we saw him have that that sit match, it was pretty good. And this showed me a glimpse of how this guy maybe could have been had they actually just sort of, you know, put him on a path and stayed with it.
0: How do you think Tank Abbott would do today in WWE? Would it would it work?
1: Maybe I. I to this point, all all Tank Abbott has been has been a push, and it's been a start-and-stop push. They've never really invested in him and an in-ring performer, and I think this guy in WWE would maybe work, but you also have to sort of look and see what WWE was doing at this time, which was Dan Severin, and that never worked, and Dan Severin was probably a better performer in ring than Tank ever was.
2: Yeah, and I'll do you one more better than uh, Dan Severin because you talk about Tank not being able to talk and maybe having somebody talk for him in the WWE they kind of tried that with Sylvester Turkei. Oh, yeah. With the Pope, Elijah Burke. And I think, you know, it's, it's funny and it's telling that the guy that actually ended up getting over was the guy that they had talking for the, the strong guy.
1: Backstage, DDP is being loaded onto a stretcher and into an ambulance. Elsewhere, Terry Bollea brawls with Mike Awesome in a locker room. We then go back to the arena where Kidman comes out to say that he knows everyone is grateful because he beat up the Hogans. He says that the new blood is about taking down the heroes in wrestling who have been there too long. The crowd chants, you suck, as Kidman has no idea how to react to this heat. I don't think he's ever heard fans react to any promo he's cut, so he's instantly thrown off. (laughs) Kidman says he'll end Hogan this weekend, but tonight he's calling out all the old washed-up wrestlers. Backstage, Terry Taylor and Kevin Nash watch on a monitor. Rather than get heated at Kidman, Nash just shrugs his shoulders and says, uh, fine. Nash, in street clothes, then hits the ring and just ragdolls Billy with knee lifts and elbows in the corner. Things go from shit to maybe promising as Conan and Rey Mysterio hit the ring, making their return. Hudson says that neither men works for the company, which wasn't true. Uh, Conan had been suspended and Rey was injured. It's three on one, so of course Nash just dominates fucking everybody. Sidewalk slams, big boots. Nash sets up Kidman for a power bomb, but Conan gets on the apron to distract him. Conan and Ray then retreat to the back, so Nash has to power walk, not run, power walk after them. Ray and Conan then jump into a truck and start to pull off. Nash, his knees totally gone at this point, is supposed to run after their truck, forcing Conan to drive at roughly three miles per hour. <laughs> Nash is just strolling gingerly towards this truck. So Ray and Conan just get out and run away. Nash <laughs> catches up with them and beats up both men. Welcome back, Conan and Ray Mysterio Jr. I fucking hated this. I, I was so wishing that Terry Taylor would just be the one to come up t- to answer this challenge. This was fucking awful. And when one of, Without a doubt, one of the five best talents in this company, Ray Mysterio, comes back, and this is what we're doing on night one with the guy.
0: Yeah, I, I, I Kevin Nash is another person for me that uh, that I actually use as a, 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 a as a as a tool to say uh, I'm happy I wasn't watching interview. I have never liked the guy. I, I don't under. I, he might be the most the most popular wrestler that I. That, that, that I just don't get at all, and I never have. I've never thought anything he did was cool, and he continue he continues to show that. Like, like, like don't you think that his stock? Like if, you, if we were to make a top ten wrestlers of of the of the year, or um, you know, every year so starting from uh, you know ninety six on, like, I think that he's the guy that. Or maybe I say top 100. I think he's the guy who tumbles down the rankings the most drastically as far as people who have like had the world title and who were an important part of a company storylines. To me, he just does not age well
2: at all. Going to let you, going to let you handle that one, Brian Man, since you are the uh, the the Kevin Nash backer on on the side. Oh, I
0: would, I would, I would love to hear that because I actually never heard anyone like vouch for him. So I'm I'm an open minded dude. I, I want to hear it.
1: My opinion of the guy has definitely changed uh, since I've gotten older. But at the time, I mean, this guy who is kind of a smart aleck, too cool for school, and, I mean, you can't deny it. This guy, for better or worse, is demonstrating a presence that no one else on the show is. Like, you saw how, like, he's in this wrestling segment, and everyone is, like, dialing it up to 10 – you know, Ray and Conan are like flipping over their shit. Like, oh my god, we got to speed away from in, in, in this car. And here's just this big lumbering guy, barely, barely briskly walking. Like he looks like a, a an octogenarian at a mall at six a.m. going after these guys. And. I don't know there's just like a a, a cool quality of like I don't give a fuck that as a teenager I thought was cool now yeah like I can't defend a lot of the politicking uh, a lot of the way he held people down and quite frankly working with the guy when I was at WWE (laughs) so all of that you know kind of combined uh, I will say though lately a lot of his anti-Trump tweets have really been uh, really been getting me back in the fold though. (laughs)
2: I, i think uh kevin nash and we've talked about this before in the program brian like i was never a big nash guy even at the time but there's a reason why he was a star you know he had the look he could talk he had the confidence to project being a top guy even though if you look at his bell to bell work it wasn't up there with some of the other guys in the company but i think You know, coming from the WWF and having that big name and being able to stand eye to eye and shoulder to shoulder, literally and figuratively with a guy like Hulk Hogan. I think there's a reason Kevin Nash was such a focal point of the company at this time.
1: Vince Russo then comes out for his fight with Lex Luger. Russo says if Luger wins tonight, he gets the keys to Liz. Russo then tells Liz to do him, meaning uh, she wants him. He wants her to, like, unzip his jacket out. You know, it's Vince Russo. So Liz grabs the mic and tells him to kiss her Kentucky ass. This brings out Luger and Flair wearing matching khakis. Now, of course, it's all a setup as Buff and Shane Douglas take down Flair from behind. Security jumps Luger, handcuffing Lex and spraying mace in his fucking eyes. Buff and Shane then work over Luger and lay him out with a reverse DDT. Liz gets her hands on Russo's bat and hits Vinny Rue with it and runs away. This segment is not over yet as Chronic hits the ring and takes down the entire security detail and gets their ha- to get their hands on the tag champions. However, Russo and the champions retreat. Police officers then hit the ring and mace Chronic as they restrain them. Wow, excessive use of force here <laughs> in Alabama. Um Again, chronic is not facing the tag champions this weekend. Why is so much time being dedicated to them?
0: <laughs> sometimes while watching Raw or SmackDown now, I can feel like the go home show is far too predictable and the the formula is is, you know, is, is unfortunate, I think sometimes. So, hearing hearing y'all talk about how th- this go home show is confusing because of the build up to the pay-per-view, I, I, I get it, but there, there, I think there was a little part of me that's almost like, man, I would like to get a weird, a weird go home show that is surprising and that just makes me think what the hell's going on and just at least feel like there's something different. I mean, I, I, get that that's probably not what's best for business, um, especially to the casual <laughs> fan, but as someone who consumes all the content, I was like, you know what? Give me a go, give me a weird go home show. So maybe I should, I should invest some time in watching WCW.
1: <laughs> well, I think part of it is is the fact that um Russo does these things and he goes outside the he paints outside the lines, but he doesn't know why. Like I don't think he understands the fundamentals of it, if that makes okay. sense. So yeah, I agree. WWE and Vince has a playbook that he has been using. It's an effective playbook, but he's been using it. Without any wavering for 30 years. So at this point, yeah, you're like, I want, I just, I want something, anything different. And unfortunately, all Russo knows is just anything different. I think there's a way to do a go home show that isn't just the, okay, this person is gonna do a promo with this. I think a lot of the, a lot of the segments we had on tonight's show would have been effective go home segments had they maybe ended just a little bit early. Like there was no reason that Chronic needed to come out in this segment. If it had just ended with, Uh, you know, Shane and Buff getting the best of Luger and Flair, that could have been enough. But I think it's because there is a pay-per-view this Sunday why a lot of this stuff kind of makes you kind of frustrated because it just sort of feels like, okay, well, then, then you're just telling me that the thing on Sunday isn't important, so I shouldn't buy it, so I shouldn't care. You're essentially telling me that one of your shows is not worth my time, which can be frustrating as
2: a viewer. And that kind of brings me to maybe the biggest problem with with one Vince Russo, Brian man, and that's pacing. You know, you could say what you want about some of the subject matter and and some of the the worldviews of Vince Russo's booking. But I think one of the major issues and it's something that we've seen on full display over the course of the episodes we've done after the reboot, you know, where he tries to fit too much into one show. And it doesn't give the audience any credit and doesn't allow big moments to breathe. And I think one of my biggest issues with this show and a lot of the shows that we've done over the course of the year 2000 with Vince Russo in charge is, yeah, that was really cool. But you don't give me time to appreciate how cool that was because you give me 15 other things over the span of the next 30 minutes that may or may not be as cool or less cool or equally as cool. And so nothing's cool at the end of the
1: day. More Kevin Nash. He is seen smashing the windows of Conan's truck with a crowbar. In the distance, Rey Mysterio cowers in fear under a sedan. So (laughs) we also had to ruin a, a fucking rented truck here as well. Um Again, I, I, I mean, I know we just had the discussion about go-home shows, but Nash is not on this pay-per-view, and neither are Rey Mysterio and Conan.
2: Also, way to really uh, kind of neuter the new blood, because, yeah, I get it if if big Kevin Nash can fend off Rey Mysterio and Conan with a crowbar, but there's like at least 10 other dudes in the new in the new blood that I've seen on this program that should be willing to jump in and, and, and take care of this. Also, do you remember how this started? Yeah, with uh, Kidman.
1: And where's Kidman now? Like, Kidman <laughs> has a big match with Hogan this week, and why was he the guy being used for this? It's just, it's tough that when you sit down and... I'm gonna go back. Where was Booker T? Where the fuck was Booker T on the show while Kidman is in, like, four different segments? Yeah. Elsewhere, cops throw Chronic and Lex Luger into police cars while Russo intimidates them. Fresh off an attempted murder... Vampiro enters the ring. Vamp says that tonight the hunter has become the hunted. He reiterates that he is the monster Sting should have been. The lights cut out and we hear that familiar thunder before Sting's music hits. A single crow is then shown perched on the Nitro Vision screen. Sting drops down from the rafters with a bat and beats down Vampiro. Sting leaves him laying. Tony then screams, Sting is back, despite the fact that Sting has never been gone. <laughs> like you said, Nate, if this had taken place over a month, this could have been great. I actually love this notion that Vampiro is the new Sting, that he is the next iteration of this character, but that he is willing to go darker and more savage than Sting is. And I think that's a very interesting storyline. And if Sting had been gone for a few a few weeks Like, at the beginning of the year, he was off filming Shutter Speed or whatever it was. But there was, like, three months where he was not around, and and Luger was cutting promos on him. And so when he came back, it meant something. So if Sting had actually been gone, even a week, two weeks, and Vampiro had been out here being a sinister version of Sting, maybe he comes out the leather jacket, maybe he even descends from the rafters one week. I don't know. Everything that this could have been was just blown because they didn't give it time to sink in with the audience.
0: I feel like I could... I, I, I feel like I could go to any Nitro any Nitro on on the network and just type in Sting and every episode that he's on there would be the announcers trying to get me hype about him returning or, or him being there and I, if, I don't feel like that happens to any wrestler on Raw or Smackdown these days, like, like they always seem surprised that he shows up
2: <laughs> it's well, there's, there's a couple things. First of all, I keep forgetting uh, that, you know, we, we're in the Metallica Sting era. And so, like, I, like we've been yeah. doing this show for a while now, but every time that theme comes on, it's a bit of a surprise. And I I didn't like the song at the time, but it's it's grown on me, Brian, man. Uh, what, this song? The, the Seek and Destroy.
1: Well, yeah, because they don't use it on the network. So it's, like, weird because you'll hear, like, an after effect of it a little bit.
2: yeah. I think that that song, it, it's a better... Let's just say it's a better revamp than uh, when Goldberg went with the Megadeth, Crush Him.
1: Oh, yeah. I like the Metallica song. I did like the Metallica song because he also... He had a character change. Like, he was... Yeah. This Sting is a little more charismatic, a little more fun. He's not the the dark... Like, he's more in line with what the Wolfpack Sting was at this
2: point. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing is, and, and it's something, again, alluded to what Chris was saying, and what you were saying also, this should have happened four or five weeks down the road. Like this entire thing, like we should have left, uh, we should have left Birmingham thinking that sting was buried. And and like, I don't even think we should have seen the hand come up out of the, uh, out of the open grave. Mm. Mm. Like, I think we should have left Birmingham with a question mark. Like, what happened to Sting? Is he okay? Uh, did, did Vamp take him out for good? And And we just build this. And, you know, they gave away everything. Like, we had not only the hand coming up out of the open grave, but we had the crow that was poorly shot at the entrance, which is well, remember
1: during the yeah, during the Luger uh, yeah. program, the, a crow
2: showing up was one weeks was one week's show.
1: Like, right, that That's was the angle. spent one a week. whole
2: week on like the, the crows here. Sting is Sting is arrival is imminent, but we got everything in one night. And as much as I am a fan of Sting and, and, and love that man, Steve Borden, he's a national treasure. I think this is something where less could have been more, and it felt like they just rushed a month's worth of storylines in so we could get to Slambari. Oh,
1: by the way, speaking of time allocation on the show, we then cut back one more time to Sean Stasiak still shooting baskets in the fucking gym.
0: His shooting stroke is terrible.
1: To the point that I was like, how did they fucking fake this? Because I I don't see him (laughs) getting that in there.
0: I think Shivani said at one point, even his bricks are going in, which doesn't make any sense because a brick (laughs) means you miss. He was. I think Tony Shavani thinks any time the ball hits the rim, it's a brick, which is just not true.
2: So, so you're saying that uh, Sean Stasiak uh, could not suit up for the Pelicans anytime soon? Man, if Sean, you know, nothing can keep
0: me from the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, They're my squad for life. If Sean Stasiak signs with the New Orleans Pelicans, (laughs) I, I, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do. That's
2: that's a hell of a team. you got Boogie Cousins, (laughs) Sean Stasiak.
0: I might convert to the Memphis Grizzlies, the the most geographically uh, relevant team to New Orleans other than the Pelicans if Sean Stasiak signs with him. Unless he can play point guard, then I'm open-minded.
1: Vince Russo then storms into the women's locker room to confront Liz. Russo tells her that she will never disrespect him again. She responds by slapping him across the face. Russo instantly backs down and leaves the room. Our next match is non-wrestler Tank Abbott against non-wrestler David Arquette. As he made his way to the ring, Arquette actually dropped the belt on the ground by mistake, which was quite the metaphor. The ref then throws out Canyon as David jumps on Tank's back to start the match. Abbott laughs and throws Arquette into the corner, grabbing him by the throat. Backstage, an ambulance arrives, and DDP gets out and heads to the ring. This is the second time this year that a wrestler has stolen an ambulance. Abbott shoves the ref out of the ring and knocks Arquette out. DDP's music then hits, and Abbott watches the rampway backstage. Bischoff tells Jarrett to go to the ring, but back in the ring, Tank is dropped by a diamond cutter from behind. DDP then puts Arquette on Abbott for a three count. Um, I did not like this. <laughs> Uh, However, one person that definitely did not like this was Goldberg, who saw this and demanded that his feud with Tank be called off. Oh, is that real? That is real. Uh, When Goldberg returns at the Philips Arena, the show I was at, they blow off this feud on night one. Wow,
0: that's bizarre. You know, I I think that DDP carrying Arquette and standing, you know, know, walking over the top rope like he's a seven-footer, I was the most physically (laughs) impressive thing I saw on this entire show.
2: Oh, can we find a way to make tank Abbott any more inept? Like I get it. The guy doesn't have the conventional look of your wrestling champion and he's not as polished as, as a lot of the other guys in the company, but you've spent so much time investing in this dude. And I felt that, and it's it's a it's a complaint that it doesn't just apply to WCW in the year two thousand. It's something we see even today on Raw and SmackDown. The 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 music distracting somebody. Like DDP, great athlete, but I know DDP is not fast enough to get from the entrance ramp to the ring in three three seconds. Why didn't Tag Abbott just pin him? Yeah, I mean there's
1: there's there's issues with all of this, and I think the thing that and this is just a, a hallmark of Vince Russo booking is that. He books all of the people as though they're already over because he doesn't know how to get people over. Like a finish like this, if you did this today, where let's say Universal Champion Charlie Day is told that he has to defend the title <laughs> against Big Show, doing something like this, where like Dean Ambrose comes out of nowhere and does a dirty deeds on The Big Show, you could get away with that because Big Show is 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 over because of his size. But if right. you just did this where... um Like, who's a mid-card guy you're trying to, to build up? Like, if you did this with a guy who you're actually trying to, like, push a little bit, who isn't quite fully there, like Samoa Joe. Like, let's say you put Samoa Joe in this match with Charlie Day, and then you did that sort of a thing. You'd be burying Samoa Joe, and that's sort of the same thing here, where, like, Tank isn't fully there. He's not... Fully protected where he's Teflon and can be used as a plot device. Uh, So you do this. And as you know, as Goldberg saw, I mean, he he instantly called off this feud. And it's not too long that this guy's going to going to start doing the shit with three count. (laughs) We go back to the gym where Stasiak is still throwing those uh, those baskets. uh, And we are told that he is one shot away from the record. Yes, we've spent all two fucking hours of the show with him shooting baskets. He goes for the final shot, but then Kurt Henning attacks him from behind. This was a long drive, and the payoff was not worth it. Do you think, like, what was Kurt's plan? Had he been, like, in the rafters for the last two hours, waiting for him to get one basket away? Who was counting them? There was no official, like, score. There was, there was a blonde lady.
0: But, but that was it. That was, wasn't she, like, a sexual partner for him?
1: I think she was just a ball caddy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what Kurt Henning was doing. I mean, some serious psychological warfare, though. If if, if this record is very important to Stasiak, then Kurt Henning really, you know, I I, I sign off on him going above and beyond, coming out at the perfect moment to really get into his head. But also, I think he should have waited, like, maybe another split second for the ball to formally release from his hands. Because if I'm Sean Stasiak, I'm saying that shot does not count. It did not leave my hand. So I still have one more opportunity to, to, to break this record.
2: I think you could make the argument. Plus, it's on camera. Yeah. See, I I had the exact opposite reaction to this that I did with Sting going to the graveyard. Whereas with Sting, I was like, this why would you— should have been you? one segment. <laughs> yeah, with Sting, well, no. With Sting, I was like, why did you go there? With this, I liked Mr. Perfect's plan because it—, it it, it made sense, uh, like to Chris's point. It gets in the head of Sean Stasiak. I love the idea of Kurt Henning just sitting somewhere in the locker room, just, okay, how many does he have? Okay, got to wait a little bit longer. Okay, he's, he's he's 100 away? Okay, okay, okay. And just the idea of him destroying this man's moment. Like, I, I watch the uh, hot dog eating contest every year on the 4th of July, and I wish one year when Joey Chestnut <laughs> is about to break the record that Kobayashi would come out of nowhere and just smack him upside the head because – we need more drama and intrigue like that. And that that's a story I can give you. You just behind.
0: play his music, and then uh, Chestnut will vomit everywhere. <laughs> that,
2: that's, that's Kobayashi's music.
1: He doesn't work for this company. It is main event time, which means it is time for the Hogan Bump Challenge. Uh, let's go. Now, Chris, you are the guest, which means we're going to let you go first. How many bumps do you think Hulk Hogan's going to take in this match?
0: Oh man, um, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with two. Mm. Okay,
1: we're going two in this match against Mike Awesome. What do you think, Nate?
2: That is a, a an astute guess from Chris. He's obviously played this game before. Um, let's see. Terry Balea is a professional wrestler. Bumping is part of the job description, and he's going in there against Mike Awesome, who is a bigger dude that we've seen. Hogan sell for in the past. So I'm going to say Hogan gives uh, the big man three bumps. Okay, you're saying three.
1: I'm going to go off of uh, our last guest, Mike. He went over the edge. He said five. Mm. And this is Mike Awesome again. So I'm going to go with Mike Eagle's guess. I'm going to go five bumps. I'm I'm throwing caution to the wind. So this match starts off with a lot of brawling. Uh, awesome lands a clothesline on Hogan, who takes a bump within the first 30 seconds. My God. On commentary, Tony applauds Hogan for shelving his gimmick. Awesome then throws Hogan outside and these two brawl around the ring. Awesome clotheslines Hogan on the floor, but rather than take a bump, Hogan holds onto Awesome's wrist and slowly lowers himself to the floor. (laughs) Kudos to this man. They get back in the ring where Awesome hits a top rope clothesline for a second bump. Back on the outside, Hogan works over Awesome with a chair. Hogan then takes off his weight belt and whips Awesome. Awesome gets the belt and punches Hogan in the head with it, who discreetly rolls to the ground, never takes a bump. Awesome chokes Hogan with the belt, followed by a can-you-believe... I honestly could not fucking believe this, guys. Hulk Hogan hits a belly-to-back suplex
2: on the floor for a third bump. Nate, where the fuck is this Hulk Hogan coming from? (laughs) I don't know if he's found the fountain of youth the last couple of weeks, but uh, maybe... It happened when he made the change because you keep forgetting, Brian, this isn't Hulk Hogan. This is Terry Balea, and Terry Balea is a yep. worker's worker.
1: I didn't mention when he came out. So he had his F U N B vest. Did you guys notice the new thing that's on the vest on the front?
0: Oh no, what did it say?
1: It said TCB taken care of Balea. As <laughs> though like that was that was a new thing. Hulk Hogan being selfish was like a new wrinkle for his character. <laughs>
2: i love it i love it
1: so awesome then gets a chair and goes after hogan back in the ring hogan no sells and hulk and hulks up with sloppy punches and the weakest big boot i have ever seen kidman then runs in the ring from behind but hogan kicks kidman and hits him with the chair bischoff gets in the ring and distracts the ref as though dqs would have suddenly mattered Awesome and Hogan are brawling on the outside when Kidman comes off the top with a chair and whacks Hogan, who only takes a bum bump, not a full bump for a, a top a top rope chair to the head. Awesome and Kidman roll Hogan inside where Awesome gets the pin. Oh, so that means the match is over, guys. Four. Mm. We topped oh. out at
2: four. So, Nate, I went over... You win. I, I, I want to thank uh, everybody. I want to thank Terry Balea for for not only taking care of himself, but for taking care of me <laughs> in, in this week's uh, edition of the Hogan Bump Challenge. And uh, yes, uh, thank thank you, uh, thank you, Terry Balea, for blessing us with another great match.
0: Well, how many how many signs do y'all think were visible from the audience that just said the word fart real big? <laughs> I counted one. There was definitely a very there was a very visible fart sign somewhere during this match. <laughs>
1: So after the match, Awesome celebrates while a bloodied Hogan goes outside and gets a chair. Hogan chases Awesome and Kidman off with the chair. Then a mystery man in a new blood shirt runs in and a sting mask. The man then takes off his mask to reveal a fucking fan. Yes, in all of the confusion that is Vince Russo booking, a fan was just able to run into the ring and have a stare down with Hulk Hogan. Realizing this wasn't another shitty angle, security takes him down while Hogan just watches on. In the middle of all of this chaos, the mysterious fake blood that isn't fake blood falls from the ceiling onto Terry Bollea. The new blood hits the ring and beats down Hogan. Bischoff walks to the entryway and gives a new blood salute that looks... Way too much like a Heil Hitler move, and the show ends. Uh, that's how things go off the air. You might not know it. Hulk Hogan is facing Billy Kidman at the pay per view. You couldn't tell by the way this thing ended, but here we are. This this new blood liquid is going to be a reoccurring uh, motif.
0: So I've seen so many sloppy run ins and and not not good surprises in my time. You know, skimming through Nitro and. WCW pay-per-views in the network. So when this fan got in the ring, <laughs> I you have to keep in mind, you know, where I where, where I'm at with WCW. I did not know it was a fan until the security took him out. I thought I, I thought this is a cruiserweight that I, that I don't know about because 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 they he got in the ring with the same amount of of poise and confidence like I've seen other people do for WCW run-ins. And uh, so so I I love that I got to have that moment. And I also really – if I could have one wish, one wish to change something that happened on this episode of Nitro – I wish that whoever was holding the button, uh, to, you know, p- to push the button to, for all the blood to come down, I wish they would have done it while this kid was in the ring. <laughs> I wish so bad that this kid would have gotten one on him. That would have been so good.
2: Oh, I, I too, was was pleasantly surprised by this. And, and I might have been even more surprised because as somebody that's watched this show week to week, Chris, this Sting fan has been a recurring theme. Like one week it was Russo, another week it was Ric Flair. And so I was like, "Huh, is this is this part of the program? Is this somebody that's going to come out, just this thing, and and attack Hogan?" And so seeing that it was a fan, I I just you know I was entertained. And then we got this stupid blood thing that I've talked about last week, which is one of the most memorable things from this entire new blood run. And I ne- like I never liked it. Like it felt. Much like everything on the show, and maybe it's the perfect way to end the show uh, because it's a metaphor for Vince Russo's style of booking. It's just too much at, at one time, like uh, that amount of, of of red liquid, as they call it. Uh, it it felt like overkill, and a lot of the show felt like overkill.
1: Yeah, and I I mean it is a very striking visual, and if it weren't for the fact that this is less than like a year after the Brood was doing this yeah. in WWE, I think it would have meant something. But it just it just felt like such a a knockoff at this point not to mention i mean it there's an expense this is not a cheap thing to do uh, and to be doing this every week for the visual of it.
0: Yeah, I, I can't imagine being one of the ring crew, you know, like the, 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 the local crew hired to to, yeah. to to tear things down. If any of the local crew was actually watching Nitro at the time, I wonder how many of them just said, nah, I'm not going to take this job. I'm not going to mess it up with that weird blood stuff.
1: Well, I'm sure when they were rigging up roughly 40 gallons of this stuff above the ring, they, they knew how the night was going to end. <laughs> i don't know about this episode it um it went by i don't think anything was as offensive as that i think only that opening match was really the only out and out kind of stinker on the entire show but there was just a lot of overbooking a lot of stuff that wasn't allowed to breathe and in a vacuum the arquette stuff isn't terrible but when you realize that this show is a go-home show and the world champion is David Arquette and is a total fucking afterthought, it really does make you look up and down the show and say, is this the best use of a world champion? And then you can sort of see uh, the harm that it's doing to the company.
2: Yeah, I thought that, again, being the, the advocate uh, for my client, David Arquette, uh, <laughs> I thought David Arquette – is somebody that we can look back with in, in 2017 and say, this was somebody who had no business being the WCW world champion. But I do think there was a place for David Arquette on the show. I do think there was a way to utilize him, whether it be as you know a celebrity fan or as a guest GM or as even a, a tag team champion with, with DDP, like we discussed before. There was a way to utilize David Arquette's stardom and David Arquette's talent because yeah, he's a goofball, but honestly, I thought he cut one of the better promos on the show. Uh, I think there's a way to use him in a way that bolstered WCW, but also didn't diminish the world title, which is unfortunately the situation they're in right now.
0: I am so grateful for this podcast and for what y'all do. I'm so happy this joke turned into uh, a successful, (laughs) fun podcast. I uh, I it, it reminded me that there's a a, a, a a huge treasure chest of of bizarre, weird, fun programming on the WWE network. I'm grateful WCW exists, and I think that you kind of you kind of turned me a little bit face in terms of how I feel about WCW because while i i don't think it's I, I don't think it's as good as as wrestling is now or has been the past 10 years even though which which, is, which hasn't been always that good i know but I, I i still feel like um like i learned a lot and i'm grateful for it this episode is super weird it makes me kind of want to instead of trying to watch it chronologically just pick some random spots and just and just lose myself in it.
1: Has Brandon been trying to convert you to WCW for years, and it was just he actually was taking the wrong tact and you needed to watch a 2000 episode?
0: Yeah, Brandon Shroud and I have spent a lot of time together uh, backstage at wrestling shows, or we, we've, we've gone to many RAW together. Brandon's one of my favorite people in the world, and I think that he just... Uh, I, I, I don't know if he ever really campaigned hard enough. I think it was just mm-hmm. a thing that we just understood was a fundamental difference you know just the same way he's a vegan and I'm not a vegan you know it's the same thing
1: <laughs> <laughs> well we have uh, reached the point where uh, to wrap things up we're gonna do our, our silver lining which is where we have to pick one positive thing on this episode unqualified we thought was was a shining you know example of excellence here and this episode wasn't Sort of the gutter trash you've had to worry about uh, in the past, but I would say for me, my silver lining was certainly just seeing Kurt Russell show up on this show <laughs> for for a, a brief moment. That that was probably my silver lining. Uh, what about you, Chris? Oh, okay.
0: My silver lining. Um, I'm gonna say I'm a sports fan. I, I'm also I, I'm I'm also a, a um, an obscure sports fan. I'll say silver lining was. They, WCW deciding to put, uh, Smiley's, uh, mystery partner in a minor league (laughs) hockey jersey, which is in most markets, in most markets, I bet you 50% of the people who are buying tickets to go see the show, minimum 50%, could not tell you anything about the, about the local minor league (laughs) hockey team, which sidebar, shame on them. But I do think that that is not. That that's not like, like 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 if anything they should have been wearing like an Alabama like, you know like, a, like an Alabama Crimson Tide jersey something that yeah. would have actually popped the crowd. But 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 silver lining to them to them trying that weird thing because shout out to all minor league sports and the weird stuff they got to do to generate interest. I'm on board. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I. I, I- Got to give a uh, honorable mention to Kurt Russell, uh, because he was uh, great on this episode, his brief time that he had. Uh, and it also makes me intrigued about this movie, because I was uh, wikipedia 3,000 Miles of Graceland earlier today. I've never seen it, but the cast looks... It is a shit movie. It's terrible. I, it's, I see they lost a ton of money, but the cast, I mean, if you got Kurt Russell and Kevin Costner and Ice-T, come on, man. Is Dave Chappelle in it?
1: Dave Chappelle or Bokeem Woodbine's in it. Bokeem Woodbine uh, is the gentleman
2: you're looking for, Brian Okay.
1: In the year 2000, (laughs) I couldn't tell the difference.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's much like in Major League when they switched out uh, uh, Wesley Snipes and put Omar Epps in there and uh, nobody nobody (laughs) knew the difference. Uh, But that's neither here nor there. But yeah, Kurt Russell was great. The uh, Sting fan at the end of the show was great. Uh, I enjoyed seeing Sting, even though I thought there was too much Sting, which is something I never thought I'd say. Whoa. I thought there was too much Sting on the show. But I'm going to surprisingly give my silver lining to Terry Balea. Oh. Because in back-to-back weeks, we've seen this dude not phone it in, which is something that I've always disliked when it comes to Terry Balea and WCW. And it feels like yes, this is a ridiculous angle. But I think him and Mike Awesome in particular, I like the pairing, and I think Hogan's actually trying to work. If not for the benefit of Mike Awesome, then of course to a TCB take care of Balea.
1: <laughs> well, um, I just Chris, I was about to uh, uh, thank you for coming on the show, but I realized that you still have a David Arquette yes, story the, the pending. The real main event.
0: Yeah, are yeah. you ready? <laughs> Are you, you know, I have the pleasure of of hosting a, a fairly successful touring comedy show called the Air Sex Championships. Now, a quick little background Air Sex is just like Air Guitar, but you just replace guitar <laughs> with an invisible partner and you make love to an invisible person. So it, you know, it, it's, it's a good sex positive, weird comedy show with elements of improv and burlesque, and it's very music, it's a very hype show. And I toured the country with the show. Um, I'm going to be in Denver this Thursday, I'll be in LA this November, and at Sturgis Buffalo Chip all next week. Uh, site of Hog Wild past WCW shows. Um, <laughs> a few years ago, I'm on tour and I'm, we're also happen to be filming a documentary called Air Sex the Movie. And we have a show in Richmond uh, where David Arquette is not only I believe from, but he happened to be there filming a movie. And David Arquette tweets out, "Hey, I'm in Richmond tonight. What's going on?" and <laughs> We, a whole bunch of people told them that what was going on was my air sex championship show. So he yeah. comes to the show, and I and I actually have a spot open on my judges table. My judges for air sex are usually people from the local sex industry or local comedians and media types. So David Arquette agrees to come and be a judge for the air sex championships. <laughs> and so I introduce him as – I get to introduce him as a former WCW World Heavyweight Champion, um, uh, and it, which is very fun for me. But he he sits behind the table the whole time. He's a great judge. After the show is over, he's he wants to go out. And so a bunch of people from the show all decide to go out. They go to – uh, they, they. I, I, I wish I could say I was there. I was not there. But they end up going to a strip club. They shut the place down. They, I, I think he he buys up the bar in, in in some in some way, shape, or form. The next day, still kind of flying high on the whole thing, I get a bunch of phone calls from from uh, gossip websites that all want Ooh. to know what happened with David Arquette, um, <laughs> and. One of the things – this is kind of silly, but one of the things that I, I have fun with with the show is I I very much do my best to not give the same interview twice. So when people say, what is air sex or what's – a give me an example of a routine you've liked or how do you do air sex? I just try to give a different answer every time. So keep in mind I'm in that mode and all these people are calling me and asking me what David Arquette was drinking and I didn't get it at the time, but David Arquette – was sober because right. he had a because yeah. he had some issues. But that night he went he he uh, he drank again that night, which I didn't know I didn't know about his past. I didn't know about him being sober. So I'm doing all these interviews and I'm just kind of having fun joking about what he's drinking. They're like, "What was Oof. he drinking that night?" And I'm like, "Oh, a gin and tonic with grenadine," or you know, I'm just making up drinks that don't exist. <laughs> and then later on, it's revealed to me that. They were circling for a story because they're because they're gossip rags. So, so I felt very bad. But in the end, no one could confirm what he was drinking because I never gave the same answer twice. So it actually the (laughs) so I kind of saved myself in that regard. But um, so, so that that's the first beat of the story. The second beat is David Arquette and I stayed in touch, and he actually helped finance my movie that he is in damn he is in air sex the movie he helped finance a part of it and he actually flew me to Las Vegas to go do an air sex show at his annual 4th of July party on the rooftop of the hustler club Wow. <laughs> so I can't say that I have like stayed in touch with him in any way. I do. I do have his phone number, which is a fun thing to see when I scroll through my contacts list every now and then. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's a probably a, a there's probably a good chance that he would re- he would remember the air sex guy from Richmond, but uh, but I had not talked to him in years. But I am grateful. For his supporting of the film, him coming out and just saying "fuck it" and watching the show and being a part of it, and I'll just never forget that. So when when David Arquette was on this episode of Nitro, I just thought, man, I lucked out. This is very fun. So shout out to David Arquette and supporting the arts and independent film. Which, uh, quick plug, anyone listening to this can also do that. The movie is is easy to find. It's on YouTube and Vimeo and. VHX, and it's a it's a very fun exploration into a weird touring, uh, sex-based comedy show.
1: Yeah, that's the thing with Arquette. I've just, I've always, even with all the hate that kind of comes his way with this run, um, I've, I've never had nothing but kind of, like, love for the guy, because he wasn't, he didn't necessarily want to do this, and he, he knew that it was kind of disrespectful and whatnot, but he was having fun with the whole thing, like, there's never any malice in it, and it sounds like he had nothing but respect, and then he, actually, he also, uh, Donated all the proceeds from this run in WCW uh, to Owen Hart's uh, to the family of I think Owen Hart and Brian Pillman. So he like he didn't make any money off of this WCW run, but um, that's a nice story though. That 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 that's good to hear. And he also seems like he's a pretty responsive guy online too. So, Chris, thank you so much for for, for coming here. You just – you plugged the movie, but if people want more of you uh, in their life, how can they find you online?
0: Oh, thank you very much. Well, I'm like any comedian worth their salt. I am very uh, into people following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. I'm Chris True across the board. That's T R E W. And if I come to your town, go, uh, come watch a show. And if there is, I also want to do a general plug for just watching comedy shows, wherever you live, go and watch the locally independently produced comedy show. Uh, there's gotta be one at a bar or a theater, go and support that show. And, uh, and if you, if you have any, if you want to get to know me, just reach out on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And I'm happy to chat.
1: Yeah, I don't think people really, um, until you've been in both those worlds, really acknowledge how similar the wrestling world and the comedy world is oh, yeah. in terms of the, the the drop off from like the main event to the independent scene, and how it is really important to to uh, support your local independent scene, and if you know that there is. Um, You know, because there are those uh, those clubs that just have really great reputations for being really uh, for being really great places to perform. Because a lot of, I mean, just in pro wrestling, it's the same. I mean, a lot of clubs are just like really shady promoters who are just trying to like run a bar and they really mistreat performers. So yeah, definitely get out there, support uh, comedians, and if if you know of a place in your town that uh, treats their performers well, you know, uh, uh, support that as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: And to you, the listener, thank you for completing another experiment with us. Uh, if this was your first time listening, a full archive of the show is available at FightNetwork.com and LiveAudioWrestling.com. If you have feedback for us, send it over to KeepIt2000Pod at gmail.com. If you want more of me, I am at Maxman all over the internet. Uh, And Nate, I'm going to give it over to you so you can give the people the good word to hold them over until our next episode, which unfortunately will be the end of the David Arquette era.
2: Yes. And, and, uh, so again, thanks to everybody for checking out the show and joining us once again up here on the Satellite of Hate. If you want to holler at me, you can find me on Twitter at in the number eight M O Z A I K at Nate Mosaic on Twitter. Uh, again, want to send a shout out to Chris for joining us this week. And, uh, you know, we, we, we got to find some way to get Cat Williams into the, uh, air sex championships. Cause I don't know if you've seen this man's comedy, his, uh, his, his stool humping routine. He, he is a uh, virtuoso <laughs> when it comes to, uh, air sex.
0: Hey, I'm open-minded. Uh, Cat, come on down.
2: <laughs> uh, but you know, we always like to leave the listeners with with uh, something to ponder, something to think about as they go about their week. And uh, until the next time we see you, I want to leave you with a song off of the Three Thousand Miles to Graceland soundtrack, and it's uh, called "Such a Night" by Elvis Presley. I'm going to tie it back to our experience this week, folks. It was a night. Ooh, what a night! It was. It really was such a night. The moon was bright, oh how so bright It was really such a night The night was alight with stars above And ooh, when David Arquette showed up We just had to fall in love This week on Nitro, I proved to the entire world that at any given time I could become the WCW champion. That's why this company's in the damn shape it's in because of bullshit like this. this, this, this.